Welcome to the Locked On Islanders Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Gil Martin. I'm an Islanders columnist and historian, and I wrote the book Ice Wars, which covers the complete history of the Islanders' rivalry with the Rangers from 1972 to the modern era. All right, happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to the weekend edition of the Locked On Islanders podcast. So good to be with you today. Don't forget today's episode of Locked On Islanders is brought to you by Built Bar, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. If you go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code Locked On, you can get $10 off your first order of Built Bars. All right, we've got a lot to talk about on today's show. Uh, Good news for the Islanders coming from the courthouse with regard to their arena being built near Belmont. Also, of course, we have the very latest on the NHL and their latest news about possible returns and how that's going to work. We have this date in Islanders history, uh, a rough game, but we're going to look back at it. Only two games played on this date in Islanders history, so it wasn't easy to find a good one. Uh, And then, of course, in our latest What If, we'll talk about what if the WHA didn't exist and how that would have made things very different for the New York Islanders, and a lot of fans will be surprised how closely the Islanders' birth was tied to the World Hockey Association. All right, don't forget, if you have a comment, a question, a topic you'd like us to discuss, please feel free to contact us at LockedOnIslanders at gmail.com and uh, leave your name and where you're from, and we're happy to mention you on the air when we discuss whatever it is that's on your mind. Also, you can follow the show on Twitter or contact us on Twitter at Locked On Isles, and you can follow me, Gil Martin, on Twitter at Ice Wars, N-Y-R-V-S-N-Y-I. We'll keep you up to date on all the latest news from around the world of the New York Islanders. All right, so the good news, let's start with that, and it comes out of the New York Supreme Court, and the judge in the case basically dismissed a lawsuit by the Village of Floral Park and a number of civic associations in Elmont who were seeking to reverse the state approval of the Islanders' new rink and the Belmont Park redevelopment project uh, that, you know, is currently being built right now, although, you know, it's on hold right now because of the pandemic, but uh, the Honorable Roy Mahone released a 13-page decision that was essentially a decision on procedural grounds. 
the decision reads in part, the court recognizes that the approval of the project goes against the village's legitimate concerns with respect to the impact on its residents. Nonetheless, the court's review is limited to the evaluation of whether the determination was made in violation of lawful procedure, was affected by an error of law, or was arbitrary and capricious, or an abuse of discretion. Accordingly, the petition is denied, and the motion to dismiss, the motions to dismiss, are granted. So, to translate that from legalese, essentially, the court is saying these people are trying to have the court decision reversed. There are no procedural grounds, uh, no abuse of power made when this decision was made, and the lawsuit is now dismissed, which means that one of the last major legal hurdles that stood in the way of the Islanders getting this rink completed has been let go. And look, that's obviously good news for Islander fans, and it's been a tough journey, I'll say this, for the New York Islanders since they left the Nassau Coliseum after their playoff series with the Washington Capitals. What, it's been five years now uh, since that happened? Go to Brooklyn, come back and play some games at the Coliseum, split seasons between Brooklyn and the Coliseum. Now you're talking about going to... Uh, going to this new arena, then there were the lawsuits, the pandemic has temporarily stopped construction on the new arena, so, you know, a lot of different things going on, but at the end of the day, the bottom line, and this is good news for the Islanders and their fans, all systems are go, the arena is going to resume construction as soon as the workers can safely do so, and Again, as of right now, uh, the Islanders will spend all of the 2020-2021 season at the Coliseum and then play at their new arena in October. Well, first regular season game should be in October of 2021. So something to look forward to for sure from the uh, for Islander fans with regard to the Islanders' beautiful new home. And, and again, the best thing about this new home, it's going to be a hockey arena. I mean, yeah, they could have concerts and other events there, no question, and they certainly will. But, you know, the scoreboard will be above the red line at center ice. The sight lines will face the ice. The, the uh, pipes underneath the ice will work and be good. Uh, to to create ice that should work as far as, you know, being up to NHL quality. And the other thing, obviously, that is important is that the Islanders will be the primary tenant of the building and fans will have an easier time getting to the arena than they, you know, most Long Islanders do to get to Brooklyn. I'm not knocking the... Barclays Center, it served a very important purpose for the Islanders and their fans, but uh, this is a great step forward for the New York Islanders, and it's certainly something that all Islander fans are looking forward to. Meanwhile, some disgruntled players speaking out about the possible playoff 
format that would involve 24 teams. Sidney Crosby of the Penguins saying that it's important to preserve the integrity of the playoffs, and he doesn't feel that a uh, a March Madness kind of tournament will accomplish that goal. So uh, some opposition from some players to the expanded playoff format. We'll see what the league does, but the league has to figure out something that'll be fair to all the teams on the bubble, especially if they can't complete the regular season. But you know, there's nothing regular about a built Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar ever, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. And look, the beautiful thing, there are 16 amazing flavors, eight that are chocolate covered with nuts, eight that are nut-free, also chocolate-covered, they're soft and easy to chew, unlike other protein bars that are gritty or just, you know, it, it tastes like medicine. No, this tastes like a candy bar. It tastes like you're cheating. But Built Bar is healthy. It's great for the health-conscious guy or girl. You could lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. They are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high fiber. Look at the peanut butter brownie flavor. 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, only 3 grams of sugar, and 3 grams of net carbs. That is both tasty and healthy. Go now to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Okay, time for this date in Islanders history. As I mentioned, the Islanders only played two games on May 15th throughout their history. Neither one of them particularly pretty, but uh, here goes. This is game three of the 1984 Stanley Cup Finals. Islanders heading to the Northlands Coliseum in Edmonton to take on the Oilers. Series tied at one apiece. The Oilers won game one, one to nothing at the Nassau Coliseum. Islanders bounced back in game two with a dominating performance and a six to one win. Now the series shifts to Edmonton for games three and four. This is the pivotal game three and it got physical in a hurry. Islanders scoring first, Clark Gillies, his 11th of the playoffs from Pat Flatley and Brent Sutter at 132, but then the rough stuff starts to take place. Dwayne Sutter and Ken Linsman each go off for high sticking at 227. A lot of penalties in this period, and uh, neither team cashing in on the power play. Finally, the Oilers tie the game Late in the first period, Kevin Lowe, the defensive defenseman for Edmonton, gets his third of the playoffs. Glenn Anderson and Willie Lindstrom with the assists at 13:49, and the game was even at 1-1. Then the rough stuff taking place at 15:16 of the first period, a little more than a minute after the low goal. Pat Flatley gets a double roughing minor. Randy Gregg of Edmonton gets two minutes for roughing. And then Don Jackson of Edmonton and Greg Gilbert of the Islanders each go off five minutes for fighting. First period ends with the game tied 
at one apiece. And there were some more penalties. John Tonelli and Ken Linsman each go off for high sticking at 17-53. Dave Hunter of Edmonton takes a penalty early in the second period. Elbowing is the call at 155. And the Islanders cash in on the power play. Clark Gillies, his second of the game, 12th of the playoffs. Brian Trache and Mike Bossy with the assists at 254 of the second period. And the Islanders led 2-1. The Oilers do tie it midway through the period. Mark Messier, his sixth of the playoffs from Lee Fogelin. Talk about an underrated defenseman there. Fogelin, uh, the only assist, 838 the time of the goal, game tied. 2-2. And then the Oilers get two goals in 17 seconds in the final minute of the second period, and that turns the tide of the game. Glenn Anderson gets his sixth from Charlie Huddy and Wayne Gretzky at 19-12, and then 17 seconds later, Paul Coffey, his seventh from Pat Hughes and Ken Linzeman, and after 40 minutes, it's 4-2 Oilers, and you know, again, with a minute left in the period, Islanders think they're going into the locker room all even at 2-2, and instead, they're behind by a pair of goals. In the third period, Messier strikes again, his seventh of the playoffs from Kevin McClelland and Charlie Huddy at 5:32, and then 30 seconds later, McClelland, his fourth of the playoffs from Dave Lumley, that one at 5:52. And just like that, the game is out of reach. It's 6-2. to two. Dave Semenko adds a goal, his fifth from Yari Curry and Wayne Gretzky at 9:41, And the Islanders fall to the Oilers by a score of 7-2. to two. Clark Gillies, two goals. He is the only multiple-point Islander. John Tonelli and Paul Boudelier were both minus four in this game. As far as shots on goal were concerned, Clark Gillies and Mike Bossy each with five apiece, four shots on goal in this one for Tomas Janssen. Billy Smith, a rough outing. He led up the first six goals in this game, made 25 saves. The final 13-44, Roland Melanson comes in and finishes up. He allowed one goal on nine shots. Oilers out shooting the Islanders by a margin of 40 to 25 and the Oilers end up with the victory 7 to 2 they win the game take a 2 to 1 lead in the series and the Islanders all of a sudden trailing in this Stanley Cup final and uh, their four straight Stanley Cup wins certainly on the line at this point uh, as they try to keep the dynasty alive so Today's what if in Islanders history is an interesting one. What if the WHA had not existed? And, you know, the short answer is the New York Islanders would not have existed. And the WHA really affected the way the Islanders started their existence. Let's talk about both here. Uh, In 1972, the WHA was going to take the ice And they wanted to put a team in New York, and they wanted to put a team on Long Island where the brand new Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum was there and uh, gave them an opportunity 
to break new ground. Now, Long Island did have hockey prior to 1972. It was minor league hockey, played at the old Comac Arena, the Eastern League Long Island Ducks were a fixture there for many, many years, but when the WHA wanted to move in, the NHL quickly stepped up and said, no, we don't want the WHA to take Long Island as a territory and to play in this new arena. So the NHL quickly added teams in New York and Atlanta to prevent the WHA from putting teams there. So the Islanders were actually born in reaction to the WHA's attempt to get a team on Long Island at the new and very nice Nassau Coliseum. And here's the thing, what ended up happening, and the NHL sort of pulled this power play to perfection. The New York team in the WHA, which became known as the New York Raiders, was forced to play their games at Madison Square Garden because the NHL had an exclusive arrangement with the Nassau Coliseum when the Islanders were born. So, what happens? The New York Raiders are forced to pay a very high rent at Madison Square Garden. They are given the worst possible days and times. They were the lowest priority on the garden's itinerary, and... They lasted one season as the New York Raiders, half a season under new ownership as the New York Golden Blades, and then moved to Cherry Hill, New Jersey to become the Jersey Knights. So what the NHL did is essentially create the New York Islanders franchise in order to freeze out the World Hockey Association and prevent them from taking over Long Island. Then the WHA had an effect on the Islanders in another way. The WHA, again, born the same year as the Islanders as far as when they played their first season, 1972-73. The Islanders and the Flames had the expansion draft. And back then, you know, teams were able to protect a lot of players and the Islanders and the Flames were more or less you know, taking leftover players who were not going to have, you know, top-of-the-line impact. Now, the Islanders did get some good players in the expansion draft. Billy Smith from the LA Kings goes on to his Hall of Fame career with the Islanders after they selected him in the expansion draft. The captain, Ed Westfall, picked in the expansion draft from the Boston Bruins. Defenseman Jerry Hart was added. Uh... And, of course, you know, Brian Spinner Spencer selected from the Maple Leafs one of the more popular Islanders during that first year. But here's what happened. The WHA also took away and signed a number of players that the Islanders drafted in the expansion draft, and that weakened the Islanders further. Defenseman Bart Crashley, who the Islanders selected from the Montreal Canadiens, signed with the WHA. Larry Horning, who the Islanders had selected from the Blues, also signing with the WHA. Ted Hampson, who was a pretty good goal scorer, solid two-way forward. He was selected by the Islanders from the Minnesota North Stars. 
he ends up in the WHA, as does Norm Ferguson, who once had 30 goals in his season. They selected him from the California Golden Seals. He ended up with the New York Raiders of the WHA. So the Islanders end up losing some of their better offensive players and some good defensemen as well to the WHA. And the result of that is that the Islanders set a record for futility in their first season. They played 78 games. They won a grand total of 12 of them. But here's the good part about that. By winning only 12 games and having the worst record in the league, the Islanders were able to get the first overall pick in the 1973 NHL entry draft. And that, as we know, gave them the right to draft a defenseman out of Ottawa named, uh, what was his name? Oh yeah, Dennis Potvan. So the Islanders essentially, A, wouldn't have been born at all without the World Hockey Association because the NHL hastily put a team on Long Island when the WHA announced that they intended to put a team there. And then, because of all the players who the Islanders drafted in the expansion draft, but would not sign with the Islanders because they got more money to sign with their WHA teams, those players essentially helped the Islanders get that first overall pick in 1973 and get Hall of Famer Dennis Potvan, who goes on to be the captain of the Islanders for their four Stanley Cup winning teams and becomes, to this day, a fan favorite at Madison Square Garden. So the WHA really helped the Islanders in the long run, even if it hurt them in the short run. And and the Islanders ended up later on adding some important players who had played in the WHA. First, there was defenseman Pat Price, who played a a pretty decent-sized role in the late 70s. But then the two bigger ones, John Tonelli, who was with the WHA's Houston Arrows before he joined the Islanders, and then Dave Longevin, that very underrated and strong-playing defensive defenseman who, you know, gave the Islanders a lot of consistency On that side of the ice, he played three seasons in the WHA with the Edmonton Oilers before joining the Islanders in 1979-80 and ended up spending six seasons with the Islanders, including playing on all four Stanley Cup winning teams. So, realistically, even though, you know, most people don't remember a lot about the WHA. You can't write the history of the New York Islanders if it wasn't for the close association with the World Hockey Association. And, you know, we also, for example, if you go back and listen to our show about what if the uh, Islanders had never drafted Dennis Potvin, one of the considerations that they had when selecting Potvin was that Dennis Potvin might choose to play with the WHA instead of the NHL. And that was true 
of a lot of different players back in the day. Um, so, you know, Potvan indicated that three WHA teams had approached him, but he wanted to play in the established NHL. And, you know, the Islanders ended up adding some very good players and, you know, they got bad at the right time because of the WHA, got better at the right time because of the WHA. And let's face it, they were born because of the WHA. And the NHL outmaneuvered the, the Rebel League, as it became known, and essentially got them out of the New York market within a season and a half, preserved Long Island as a territory for the NHL, and created the New York Islanders franchise as a result. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Locked On Islanders podcast. I hope everybody has a really good weekend. That wraps up this edition of Locked On Islanders. Now tell your smart device to play the next episode of Locked On NHL. Have a great weekend, everybody. Stay safe. Remember, every day gets us one day closer to the resumption of the hockey season. Have a great weekend. Stay safe and let's go Islanders.